Welcome to the Elk Talk Podcast with Randy Newberg and Corey Jacobson. Presented by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. The goal is what little you and I know about elk hunting, we share with people. I've got an elk building, it's like 120 yards away, what do I do? First off, the thought would never cross my mind when an elk being 120 yards away to call anybody <laughs> on a cell phone. <laughs> All elk. All the time. Only elk. Only elk. Well, it's us having conversations. So we usually go down some rabbit holes. But if you hunt with Corey Jacobson, you will find the landscape is full of rabbit holes. We're just going to make this up as we go. And you look at it like, oh, that's a target-rich environment. But if you're trying to single one out, a solo target there is much easier to go into than a, a big group. We record everything, so there's no BS and no lying, no faking it with us. <laughs> Did we hit the record I button? I forgot to hit the record <laughs> button. If you want to know something about elk hunting, this probably isn't the podcast to listen to. <laughs> Should we give them a list of all the other podcasts wow. where they might learn something? <laughs> The Elk Talk Podcast is brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, ensuring the future of elk, other wildlife, their habitat, and our hunting heritage. To become a member, go to rmef.org. And the podcast is also brought to you by OnX Maps. And with OnX Maps, you can know where you stand with the most accurate hunting GPS tech on the market with land ownership maps that work offline. Go to onxmaps.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 20% when you sign up for an app membership at onxmaps.com. The podcast is also brought to you by Gerber. Uh, go to gerbergear.com and learn about the knives, the vital, the big game vital, the Gator Premium, all the things that we use when we're out in the woods and not just knives, but also some really cool multi-tools that they have. And we have a promo code for Gerber as well. Just use the code ELKTALK to save 20% on your orders at gerbergear.com. And we are also brought to you by Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls. And Rocky Mountain Hunting Calls is the original designer and inventor of the pallet plate diaphragm that's completely changed the way elk calls are made and used. And to find out more and to order your elk calls, go to rockymountainhuntingcalls.com or buglingbull.com and use promo code ELKTALK and you're going to save 15% on all of your elk calls and elk call accessories. The Elk Talk podcast is also brought to you by GoHunt.com. Uh, go to GoHunt.com and sign up for the Insider. The Insider is changing how hunts and hunting information are found. No doubt about that. Use promo code ELKTALK and when you do, when you sign up for the Insider, you're going to get $50 of store credit, mad money, in their gear shop. Lastly, the University of Elk Hunting online course is a proud partner of the Elk Talk podcast. And within the University of Elk Hunting online course, you're going to find nearly 60 chapters organized in 17 modules of elk hunting instruction aimed at making you a more successful elk hunter. From planning and e-scouting to calling strategies and packing, every imaginable elk hunting topic is included in the online course. And regardless of your previous elk hunting experience or success, I'm confident the University of Elk Hunting online course will make you a more confident, more successful elk hunter. Just visit elk101.com and use the promo code ELKTALK to save 20% when you sign up for a membership to the University of Elk Hunting online course. And with that, Corey... 
we are ready to get into it. Let's jump into it. Hey, folks, we are, uh, Corey and I are practicing our social distancing here, and it's come at the expense of the ability to record podcasts due to limited technology. Would that be a safe way of saying that, Corey? Man, that's that's probably minimizing it quite a bit. <laughs> you know, I, I think both of us are used to kind of working alone and uh, used to having technology work for us. And the last two days, it's been working against us for sure. So yeah. while we're social distancing, we're also seem to be distancing ourselves from technology's capabilities at the same time. It seems that way. Yesterday, Corey and I kind of blocked out our day to record a bunch of podcasts and we had technology issues with our software platform. So we said, well, maybe it's just that everybody's home on their internet, so let's try it tomorrow. Maybe it's the weather. Who knows what? Well, we tried it again today. And somehow we have the same problem, but we found, what do they call it? You MacGyver it? Is that <laughs> Google is our friend. We Googled, how can we record each other remotely? And yeah, we've, we've got a solution in place. So hopefully it's working. Uh, I hope so, because uh, we're already up against the deadline with Montana's uh, April Fool's Day as their elk and deer deadline. Do you suppose that's by coincidence they use April Fool's Day? Man, well, at least they don't have the draw results coming out on April 1st. That would be even worse. (laughs) Yeah, that would be really bad. And for for those people who are procrastinators, you could do it up until midnight that night, uh, 11.59 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. But why someone would wait that long, I don't know. Have you ever waited to the last day and then ended up not being able to get in? I have not. That's, you know, I I have reminders set like the day that it opens, a week before it closes, a day before it closes so that I can be sure I don't miss out. But I've had people literally that email me the next morning and say, I just happened to be listening to your podcast on the way home from work and realized that today was the deadline and I got home and everything was crashing and I got my confirmation 15 seconds before the system closed. And so there are people that wait until the very last minute. Yeah, they sure do. Well, uh, I guess the question is how deep into Montana do we want to get? Because I think it's the most complicated of all the Western states. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong in that. But, yeah. No, you're not wrong. No? Okay. <laughs> As a non-resident, I look at it, and it's there are so many things that are put in place to confuse us with Montana that you almost have to have an attorney and an accountant sitting next to you just to guide you through the application process. Well. I I don't apply as a non-resident. Every year I have to help some non-residents apply, friends or family. And I just, I'm thinking to myself, why do we make it this complicated? But yeah. we do. So you, you want to go through how it works with, with your commentary of where you wanted to throw something at the computer or you want me to go through how it works? You know, maybe I will, uh, I'll start with my understanding of the system, which is from an outside perspective, uh, and then you can correct me where I'm wrong. But I think, uh, you know, just, I guess, 
start off with, the deadline is April 1st, which is coming up. I've not heard of any uh, any thoughts that they're going to change that with all that's going on in the world right now. April 1st is still the deadline. The really cool thing about Montana is they are quick with their draw. They do the draw and usually find out within three weeks. It's saying here the draw results will be posted by April 20th. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. That that's helpful. Um, yeah. But before we jump into that, though, can I explain the three crazy possibilities and why Montana uses the terminology they do for each of your applications that you could do the big game combo, elk combo, deer combo? That was going to be the first thing on my list. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm always confused because I don't apply for a deer deer license, deer tag in Montana. I just want the elk license. Yeah. But I always have to apply for the elk combination. Yeah. I'm like, it's not a combination. <laughs> it, it is, and I understand it, but man, they could really simplify things by just saying it's an elk license. Right. And the reason they call it a combo license is back in the 1980, I don't know, 70s or 80s, they wanted to make people think they were really getting a great deal. So the combination that you get with that license is an upland bird and a fishing license. So yep. you're, you're really deciding one of three things do i want the elk combo license which means elk plus fishing and upland bird do i want the deer combo which is deer plus fishing and upland bird or do i want the big game combo which is elk and deer combined plus fishing and upland bird <laughs> and those also include your conservation stamp yeah. and your base hunting license yeah. in, in all of those combinations. Yeah, you guys got it way easier. You just say, here, if you want a license, buy a license and then apply for whatever tags you want. We, that, that'd that yeah. be way too easy. Yeah, the license gives you the right to hunt. The tag gives you the right to hunt each species. Yeah. And that just seems simple. But yeah. well, Montana, right out of the gate, gets you confused that you know you don't even know what you're applying for so <laughs> unfortunately it doesn't get easier as you get into it either <laughs> uh, well, so if uh, i guess to to boil it down if you are wanting to apply just for hunting elk in montana yep. you'd want the elk combination if you want to apply just for deer you want the deer combination and if you want to apply for both deer and elk hunting opportunity you want the big game combination so hopefully that makes it a little bit clearer yeah and the interesting part is that last year the deer combination if you had zero preference points was harder to draw than any of them which yeah. our deer hunting, I mean, we have plenty of deer, but it's not like we have the kind of mule deer quality you guys have in Idaho. You get, you guys walk away from most of the deer that get shot here in Montana. But. Well, and I think, you know, I'm just looking on Go Hunt here at some of the summary for Montana. And maybe the reason why is there's only 4,600 non-resident deer combination licenses available. True. And there's 17,000 elk combination licenses available. True. Yeah. So, and just keep in mind that there are 17,000 big game combinations available. Yep. And out of that come the elk combinations as well. So there's not 17,000 of each. Right. It's, yeah, we're, we are not going to sell more than 17,000 non-resident elk licenses through this first draw that is there April 1st. 
Correct. Yep. And when someone gets one of these tags, all that is is your general tag. If you yes. if you do get it. <laughs> Which the nice thing about Montana, there are multiple units or districts that you're able to hunt in with this general elk combination license. Yeah. It's that is one good part is the majority of Montana, not all. So don't don't get your general tag and head on up to the Missouri River breaks and think that everything's good because some parts of Montana, like the Missouri River breaks, are on a limited entry draw. So now people, <laughs> here we go. Round two of confusion. Yeah. <laughs> Coming right up. So what I tell people it's kind of like an obstacle course Montana has laid out here. You have to clear the first obstacle, which is to draw one of these general permits that we've just been talking about, or general tags, the elk combo or the big game combo that has an elk license with it. You have to clear that obstacle first. And once you clear that obstacle, then you can try clear the next obstacle, which is a limited entry tag like up in the Missouri River Breaks. So you cannot even have a chance. You basically aren't even able to apply for that limited permit unless your name is drawn for one of the elk combination or big game combination licenses initially. You have to apply for both of them on the same application. But if you don't draw that big game or elk combination license, they don't even look at your elk permit application. Correct. Your limited entry permit application is considered null and void if you don't clear that first hurdle, which is getting a general elk tag. Yep. So as if, you know, I think we could navigate that system okay. You know, we've we've explained it so that people can at least have a little bit of an idea of, of what's going on. But now to add a third layer of confusion, <laughs> Montana also offers preference points and bonus points. Yeah. So you can get preference points for the big game or elk combination application, and you get bonus points for the elk permit application. Right. The limited... So what that yeah. does... I was going to say what that does is it gives the person with the most points, they're the people with the most points applying a guaranteed chance at the big game and elk combination license. Right. Which, so, which would get you your general tag. Yep. And then your permit is based on your bonus points, and it's squared in Montana as well, isn't it? Yep, it is. So, I, yeah. For the general tag you're trying to get to clear the first obstacle, those are on preference points. He or she with the most points gets the tag. The second obstacle that you hope you get to is a limited entry permit for elk, which is on a bonus point system. As you said, Corey, we square the bonus points. Yeah, so it, you know, real realistically, the only time that you would want to apply for an elk permit is if you are 100% planning on going to Montana to hunt deer or elk because you have to get that big game or elk combination license in order to be eligible to apply for that elk permit. Yep. The limited so. entry elk permit is off limits if you don't clear the first obstacle. Yep. 
And if you do clear the first obstacle, that means you have an elk license, a general elk license in your pocket that you're going to want to use that fall. Yeah. If, if you don't draw the elk permit. Yep. So, and then to complicate it again, if you do draw the elk permit, I'm guessing your elk combination license is now null and void because you have the elk permit. Is that? <laughs> You're still allowed to hunt the other parts of the state, but it's not like a second elk tag. So kind of I tell people to make sure that you don't think you now have two elk tags. Imagine that your general tag now has been validated to hunt also in other places that folks normally can't hunt on their general tag, if that makes any sense. So So. you can still hunt all of the general elk districts in addition to the one or combination of elk districts that you drew through the limited permit drawing. Yep. And I'm not sure why you would put in for a controlled or a limited hunt and draw it and then go to one of the general areas, but yeah. you do have that option available. Yeah. But with mule deer, that option isn't available. But we don't, we, we're not going to go into that complication. So <laughs> let's just stick to what applies for elk because this is the Elk Talk podcast. That's right. So. Um, All right, so so that that really is the most confusing part, and it took yeah. me a couple of years to get comfortable with. Okay, am I doing this right? Yep. Uh, I'm applying for both of them on the same one, but it's asking me, do I want a bonus point or do I want a preference point? If you're interested in applying for a limited permit, you're going to want to get both. Yep. If you don't draw your big game combo license, you're going to want to get a preference point so that next year you're pretty much guaranteed to draw. I think in Montana, yeah. um, with one preference point, you're guaranteed with zero. Yep. I don't remember what the odds are, but it's pretty high. Even with no preference points, that you'll draw that general elk combination license. But yep. then if you are applying for the limited permit, you can choose to also receive a bonus point if you don't draw that permit. So you can actually be accumulating preference points and bonus points in Montana simultaneously, yep. both of which are used independently of each other. Yep. And if people wonder why I despise these elaborate point schemes, Montana is the shining example I use for why I think point schemes are a waste of time. And added cost, but yep. <clears throat> so, so with with that being said, we're, we've we've navigated through a lot of the confusion. Now let's talk about some of the frustration, <laughs> and that comes when you start looking at the cost of applying and hunting in Montana. Yeah, what do they gouge you guys? Well, they, you know, you've got to make your money somewhere, and. The unfortunate thing is Montana kind of is uh, is setting the pace, and now all the other states are looking at it saying, well, Montana charges this much, we should be able to. And so now Idaho is raising their fees beginning next year, other states are are raising their fees for non-residents, and it's just, it's a a mudslide that's Mm. unstoppable and seems to be covering all of us non-residents, but... So what does it cost you guys for the combo license, the the big game combo license? For the big game combo license, so if we wanted to hunt deer and elk in Montana and we apply for the big game combo and we are successful in drawing it, we pay $1,046. 
In addition to that, there's a $9 elk application fee and a $5 deer application fee. If we don't draw it and we want a preference point for a non-resident, that's $50. And in addition to that, if we want a bonus point, that's $20. Wow. And if you do the elk combo only, in other words, you don't have the deer tag in it, uh, is that still $884? $884 for the elk combo license. Huh. Yeah. So just, just to hunt elk in Montana, if you were to come into the system blind with no bonus points or anything, if you apply and draw, you'll pay the $9 application fee for the elk, and you'll pay $884 when you are successful. If you want the preference point fee in case you don't draw this year, it's another $50. And if you want to apply for the limited entry uh, elk opportunity, that's another $20 for that bonus point. So people are really going to be steamed when they hear what I pay for my resident general elk tag. I'm, I'm looking at it right here on Go Hunt, and yeah. It looks like an Andrew Jackson. <laughs> a $20 bill gets you an elk license as a resident. And the cool thing is, if you're a resident, you don't have to apply for that general elk license. You just go down to the Walmart and buy one. Yep. It's, it's insane to have that kind of a disparity. The ratio between the cost of resident and non-resident. I think everybody is okay with there being some disparity between resident and non-resident. Um but what's that, 884 to 20? Yeah, 44 times more expensive that, for a non-resident to hunt. That's ridiculous. I, I mean, I'm embarrassed when I go down to the Fish, Wildlife, and Parks office. I buy hunting, fishing, trapping, upland bird, waterfowl, you know, it, I, I just say, sell me one everything. All the wolf tags I can buy, bear tags. I walk <laughs> out of there and it costs me like 100 bucks. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I can go, I think the only month I can't hunt something in Montana is July. And for that, your, your elk license is a combination license as a non-resident. So you could actually fish in July True. if you were to draw that. So True. <laughs> right. Not too many elk hunters come out here fishing in July. Say, hey, look no. what I got, an $884 fishing license. That's <laughs> <laughs> an expensive brook trout. <laughs> uh, but the Montana deserves to be picked on for these reasons. Well, and I think the, the difficult part is I look at Montana as one of the top three elk states for somebody who wants a short-term elk hunting opportunity. Yep. You know, you've got Idaho and Colorado that you can literally just show up and buy a tag. Those are really the only two states that I would put into that. Oregon is the same, but Oregon quality-wise, I wouldn't send a first-time elk hunter to Oregon necessarily. Uh, and so your next best, best option is applying for that elk combination license and drawing that general elk hunting opportunity as a non-resident. It's not over the counter, but it's, I want to say, 80 to 100% success if you have zero points of, of drawing that somewhere in that range. It used to be that you could buy them as a leftover license right. because yeah. they didn't get rid of all of those in the in the draw yeah last year was the lowest odds we've ever had with zero points and the out combo license it dropped down to 57 percent last year 
57. Whereas in prior years, it was like you were saying, 80 to 90, almost 100% in previous years. Now, with all that has happened in the United States in the last two weeks with our economy and everything, um, I guess (laughs) maybe the draws will get better this year because Montana makes you front all that money, right? Yeah. So... Uh, maybe maybe our draw odds will bump up this year, but uh. yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, across the board with with what's going on with the economy and the employment situation and everything, how that'll affect you know who's going hunting out of state, and you know it's it's hard to make plans right now. We're in the midst of the COVID nineteen pandemic, and you know we can't. We're on in Idaho. We're on. Um, stay home orders from the governor, meaning that we're supposed to not leave our home for anything other than essentials. Yep. And it makes it really hard to look past, you know, the next three or four weeks and make any plans. And so it, it does throw a bit of a wrench in the elk planning for the fall, but I think we just have to be hopeful and, and know yeah. that this too will pass and that things will hopefully be back to some level of norma- normalcy by September and allow us to I hope so. Get out and forget about this. Yeah, because if something does come up and you can't make it, uh, Montana gives you 80% of your money back if you request the refund by August 1st and 50% if you request it after August 1st. So, yeah, And those, those life... Generous of them. Yeah, they get any kinder, they'll die of enlargement of the heart there. Well, they, they actually did get kinder because up until a couple of years ago... If you wanted a bonus point or a preference point, excuse me, a preference point for your general elk combination license, the only way to get that if you didn't draw was to request a partial refund of your application fee. Wow. And so you would receive 80% of your application fee back even though you were unsuccessful in the draw, which for $884 turned out to be about $165 that you had to allow them to keep in order to get a preference point. So just, I think it was two years ago, they changed it so you could, the the fee was a set fee of $50 for the preference point in Montana. So they, they actually, you know, their heart was enlarged slightly and oh, okay. saved us $110 a year for a preference point. Uh, but if you miss the deadline and you want to buy those $50 preference points or $20 bonus points you were talking about, Montana does have a points-only period from July 1st to September 30th. Yeah. So. For Which is handy if you forget to apply, you can still get that license or the preference point so that you're more guaranteed next year to, to draw it. And yeah. hopefully, if you do forget, you'll make a reminder so that you don't forget the next year. Yeah. And all those licenses that get turned back over the summer, they usually go on sale sometime in early August. And you really want to be Johnny on the spot when that happens because they get snapped up real quickly. Yep. So I don't know exactly what date that'll be, but it's always sometime the first week of August. So now that we've discouraged everyone from applying in Montana, <laughs> do we want to? I don't think. I don't think we've discouraged. I think what we have done is shed light on the 
the uh, incredibly difficult navigational path that Montana has created and made it a little bit easier to navigate. So I think our negativity is more towards how Montana is set up, not necessarily uh, with applying for Montana. I think Montana, like I mentioned, would be in my top three for recommending to someone to apply for for a short-term elk hunting strategy for sure. Yeah, and the beauty of Montana is we have the longest elk seasons I'm aware of. I I know of none of the other elk states that allow six weeks of archery hunting starting the first Saturday in September, followed by a week reprieve for the elk, and then pick up with five weeks of rifle season ending the Sunday after Thanksgiving. It's pretty... Pretty liberal. <laughs> no, let, let me re- restate that. It's very liberal. <laughs> but my one friend says, you folks in Montana must hate elk. You, <laughs> if you get some of the special permits or take advantage of some of the damage seasons, you can start in August and they wrap up in February. I mean, we're, we're hunting elk. An elk in Montana to survive has to really be good at navigating. And, and know Absolutely. where the sanctuaries are. But, you know, I think, and I saw it last year when we hunted uh, the rifle season with you, Montana actually has it set up pretty good in some of those districts where you cannot shoot a spike during the, uh, during the rifle season. Yep. Uh, and that allows more of those young, dumb bulls to survive. In Idaho, you can shoot spikes. In fact, they sometimes have a separate spike season in addition to a general season or in addition to an archery season. And those spikes, you know, you can hunt spikes sometimes from August or October 1st through October 10th when the bulls are screaming their heads off still, the spikes are out of their mind, delirious, plus they're you know, really stupid as immature elk. Wow. And we just don't always give spikes a chance to grow up, which, you know, doesn't leave us with a really good pool of branched bulls the next year. Whereas what we saw in Montana, we were getting into groups of 10 or 12 branch bulls during rifle season in November that were all, you know, those two and a half year old bulls, those small five points. But for someone wanting to go and hunt elk, that's that's a prime yep. prime target to look at. So yeah, that, kudos to Montana in those districts where they do that because it's a great management tool that creates, that continues opportunity and, and keeps a good, healthy herd of elk in that area. Yeah, that's true. I, I take that for granted. Um, yeah, if you look at the, the regulation booklet, which is very, very thick, and they have done a good job of simplifying it the last few years, but every general unit has a different, uh, what I would call, allowed harvest. By And what I mean by that is most units are exactly what you say, Corey. Branch antlered bull only. And they define what a branch antlered bull is. Um, it is, I believe, I, I shouldn't say how many inches. It, it has a brow tine in the lower half of the main beam of a certain length. And some people, some states it's four inches and some is six. So I'm going to say six because that's the longer, right? Less chance chance I'll get someone in trouble. But look it up and you'll know. Uh, 
There are a few units that are over-objective where it says any elk. But don't assume just because that's the rule in unit 393, which is one of the general units, that the same rule applies in unit 310. They could have different restrictions on what male elk you're allowed to take. But by and large, the majority of them are exactly what you say. And one of the benefits of that is... If you look at the ability of an elk to navigate the landscape and survive, a bull elk, once he gets through that first season, he's way smarter as a a two-and-a-half-year-old than he is at a a one-and-a-half. And you do end up with, once you can get them, get elk to that level, you will recruit more of them into the three and a half, four and a half, five and a half, and and so on, just because you've got them through that most vulnerable of vulnerable periods, that first year and a half of their life. Absolutely. And that's another thing to mention. The unit we were hunting with you last year during the general rifle hunt, you could actually shoot antlerless elk as well. So yep. for someone looking to fill the freezer, go on their first elk hunt and you know shoot any elk other than a spike, um, that unit was a, a great one. I know there's several of them that are like that, that yep. you can go rifle hunting and fill your tag with a cow elk. So yeah. another, another great opportunity that most states don't offer. I know uh, Idaho definitely does not, I think. For the most part, rifle hunting, all of the opportunities that you'll have uh, to shoot a cow elk with a rifle uh, would come through some sort of a draw hunt other than if you drew a or purchased a, an archery tag. So there are more opportunities for that in Montana if you were just looking to fill a tag on an elk. Yep. And we have that archery season. We have some restrictions on what archery equipment is allowed they've been relaxed a lot lately um do you guys allow uh, mechanical broadheads yet i know in idaho i think you guys were one of the last holdouts we do not and uh, i know there was a a petition going around to allow lighted knocks and with the coronavirus stuff that public hearing was canceled and so i'm guessing that that petition and the efforts there have been tabled for now but yeah idaho is probably the most conservative when it comes to any kind of technology and you know no mechanicals no lighted knocks no battery operated anything attached to your weapon type of a thing yeah montana because when all this technology started emerging in the archery world 20 years ago it was a continual debate in front of our commission and our legislature finally the commission suggested hey how about Montana just follow the Pope and Young standards of what's allowable? Because Pope and Young, when you fill out your form to say, you know, I've taken this animal under these fair chase conditions. So when Pope and Young said, all right, we're going to allow lighted knocks, Montana said, okay, we'll allow lighted knocks. Kind of. That's how Montana's handled the technology side of things. Yeah, so. let, let the Pope and Young Club kind of lead the way and yeah. address those concerns. That's probably yeah. not a bad way to go. Yeah. But just be aware when you when you come to Montana, there we have more than our share of regulations. Our trespass laws are very uh, firm, that it's strictly on the responsibility on the shoulders of the hunter 
to know where you are standing, which is why Onyx is such a game changer. We know where we stand, and the, 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 there's not a lot of leeway granted in Montana. If if they don't, the landowner does not have to post their land. So just be aware of that when you're out bopping around. You need to know yeah. where you're at. Yeah, and what's amazing to me is the corner hopping law in Montana because, you know, you have an intersection where four pieces of land come together. Yep. If the diagonal two are public and the opposite two are private, you can't step over from public to public. Even though you'd never step foot into private, technically, you can't hop across that corner in Montana and access that. So a checkerboard uh, situation where you've got private and public mixed in a checkerboard pattern, you can't yep. access that public land necessarily. Yeah. So the I tell people, if you're an archery hunter, Montana should rank pretty high on your list for elk hunting. If you're primarily a rifle hunter, it's probably going to rank lower on your list. And the reason for that is, in Montana, our best elk country is our high country, which is mostly public. Well, that's where the elk are in September and early October. By the time weather and hunting pressure come and start pushing them down, a lot of times they'll head to the lower country, which is primarily private. Montana's The state of Montana is two-thirds private, one-third public. So by the time rifle season comes along, a lot of those elk are on their way to the private grounds, and its access is just going to be more of a challenge. So, But in archery season, the majority of the elk are going to be at your disposal. Yep. Yeah, one other thing to keep in mind is much of Montana, in fact, most of the state that I've uh, been privileged to hunt in is grizzly country. Yeah. And so that's definitely something to be aware of. If you're coming especially from out of state and not used to hunting in grizzly country, uh, be aware that, that most of those units are going to have a population of grizzly bears, some more dense than others, but there will be considerations you need to take even you know, into, I would say, uh, probably halfway through the the rifle season, even you know there were grizzly tracks last year when we were out yep. uh, the first week in November, and obviously they're probably becoming less and less active from that first of November on. But you're in grizzly country, and there's uh, there's considerations that need to be taken into account to hunt in those areas. Yeah, and if if you're not comfortable in grizzly country. Just know that there are some areas, Montana still has some areas in central Montana, north of Bozeman, Great Falls, Helena, uh, where the likelihood of running into a grizzly bear is very, very, very low. You get south of Bozeman or you get up in northwest Montana, north of Missoula, up around Kalispell, any of that country north of there, west of there, your likelihood of running into a grizzly bear is probably as high as anywhere in the lower 48, short of northwest Wyoming. Yep. And I think last year we had five in our tree season who got upside down or inside out or backwards with a grizzly bear. And it's just something you got to, you know, plan for and, and yep. know as a possibility. So. Yep. And, it, you know, you look at. A lot of those units that have them, and the hunting pressure from other hunters is is lower. Yep. And you know, there's a trade-off there. If you're willing to take a little more risk, you can get into some of those areas where there's fewer hunters. 
Uh, if you're not comfortable with that, you're probably going to be in an area where you're going to see other hunters. So it's there's a, there's a pretty clear trade-off there between those two. Yeah. Well, Montana's uh, bull elk harvest usually ranges between, it depends on the year and how good the hunting conditions are. The number of bulls taken is usually somewhere, oh, under 15,000, but usually over 12,000. It bounces in that range usually. And uh, more, uh, we have about 50% of the bulls in Montana are six point or better that are taken in the harvest. And yep. a good portion of that is attributable to what you mentioned earlier. We let elk get through their first season before they are in most units before you can take them. So they're already a branch antlered elk by the time they're legal. So, yeah. And I think, you know, if you compare Montana to a state like Colorado, where Colorado, you know, maybe in a lot of those units doesn't have that there's a lot more hunting pressure and in colorado you're probably not going to be as likely to encounter a mature bull uh, especially during one of those general type hunts Uh, but in montana even in some of the most heavily hunted uh, over the counter for a resident general license for a non-resident areas there's still opportunity to not only shoot a mature bull but to find a really really big bull and that's that's unique and pretty special for Montana. Yeah. <clears throat> and a lot of people might say, well, what's the quality age class like? If you're into things like Boone and Crockett scores and such, uh, I don't really care. I just want to go. Um, but this surprises a lot of people that in the last 10 years, Montana has entered 68 typical Boone and Crockett uh, bulls in the record book. The next closest is Utah with 53, followed by Wyoming with 44, Colorado 43, Arizona 42, Nevada 39, New Mexico 20, and Idaho 14. <laughs> so, What's surprising on there is that Arizona is so far down on the list uh, and that Montana is so high on not only that it's first, but considerably ahead of some of those big bull states of Arizona, Nevada, New Mexico. Yeah. And the you, you got to be somewhat careful in, in looking at that. Um, a lot of the big quality elk, if you want to call them that, are coming from central and southeast Montana, which are limited entry units. So uh, we... <laughs> Just because of the volume of elk taken in southwest Montana, uh, those counties will have their share of entries. But as a percentage of the elk taken, those counties are not anything like the central and southeast counties of Montana. Yeah. So, and If I remember correctly, I don't remember the exact number of years, but Montana has produced three world record archery elk in the last... 15 years somewhere in there yep. you know, Chuck Chuck Adams shot a bull in Montana that was the world record with the bow and then a year or two later he shot another bull that beat it yep. and then uh, what was it three years ago four years ago now there was a, a bull shot that yep. was world record and so I mean there, 
anytime something like that happens, I think Montana gets a lot of attention on it and it becomes harder to draw that general license because everybody wants to go to Montana and kind of takes that focus off of states like Arizona and, yeah. and others. But yeah, like you mentioned, it has a very high number, but as a percentage of total bull harvested, the percentage is probably lower than a lot of those other states like Arizona and New Mexico and Nevada. Yeah. I wonder if people would be interested in hearing Steve's story of that bull he took in 2016. Steve Felix is who I'm talking about. I know Steve. He used to live here in Bozeman. And uh, he said, well, if you ever want to hear the story, I'd be happy to sit on a podcast and tell you the story about me and my buddies. We're mostly there looking for our normal what's going to fill the freezer. (laughs) and uh it's a pretty interesting story i don't know i think it'd be a great story i personally i'd love to hear it so cool if uh i'm i'm sure our listeners would be in the same position so send us an email just go to elktalkpodcast.com go to the contact form and let us know if that's something that you'd be interested in and let us know other topics or other guests that you'd be interested in yeah. hearing from as well i mean steve's such a unique yeah just he's a great guy he worked for the highway department he just you know if, if ever there's a average joe who went out on public land did it himself and came home with the bull of a lifetime that's the story steve felix <laughs> which is the story that gives all of us hope every year when we step into the woods that there's there's always a chance yeah but other than that uh i i do have to every once in a while kind of kick myself and say randy you are so spoiled to live in a state like montana <laughs> that gives you 11 weeks of season that is so inexpensive for residents that at least until the elk get down to the private lands you have an abundance of elk in numbers depending on whose surveys you listen to some will say montana has 150,000 elk uh, second to colorado which is usually at least 100,000 more than that um but it's uh it's definitely a good place for elk hunting in spite of its challenges to acquire a tag that we spent the first 10 minutes harping on (laughs) smoothing out those wrinkles there you go i like how Uh, you said that Corey. you running for politics political office here i mean that was a pretty that was a pretty slick way you said that (laughs) no 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 politician uh here in in my office all right okay but if there is anything political to to say here as we wrap up this episode i think it's uh, just to remind people that you know this whole coronavirus thing it's you know we've got to do our part and yeah help everybody get through that and uh get that behind us because it's you know i think we look at it and sometimes take it for granted a little bit that hey we're healthy we're elk hunters we're tough we're uh, we're able to overcome and you know there's there's some things that health-wise some of us aren't able to overcome and so it's important that we take those precautions seriously and you know just be reminded that this is going to pass and things are going to get back to normal and the faster the more that we adhere to 
to being wise and using common sense right now, the faster it's going to get back to normal and with the least amount of damage. So yeah, just a, a reminder out there to be wise, to use common sense, to follow the advice of those who, who are on the front lines and protect those who are maybe in a, in a compromised situation. And then for those who are struggling to wrap their mind around it or having some anxiety or anything just know that it's it's going to pass and elk season will be here to take our mind off of everything anyway here pretty soon so yeah well that's that's good to mention that Corey. uh it's been unsettling times and it will pass but everybody's got to do their part and uh we'll look back at the spring of 2020 as the kind of a a weird time in our lives and um like you said, we'll be out elk hunting hopefully come September. Exactly. And maybe in Montana. Yeah. If you're and if, yeah. one of those who applies and draws that elk combo license and goes hunting for 11 weeks. There you go. 11 <laughs> weeks. Can you imagine hunting for 11 weeks? I can't imagine hunting for 11 weeks and not finding an elk in especially Montana. Yeah. Well, I do. I'm one of those lucky guys who gets to hunt a lot. Um, so I'm thankful that Montana is kind of my fallback where, okay, I'm here this period, I'm here that period. And because of how Montana's seasons are and how liberal they are, I can always find some blocks of time to go out and chase them here in Montana. Oh, and I don't want to forget, if you come to Montana, have an, a, a wolf tag in your pocket. Yes, and understand that if you purchase the wolf tag, you cannot use it for 24 hours after purchasing it. <laughs> we did not understand that, and we had wolves howling outside our camp all night. One night, we got up the next morning to drive into town and buy a wolf tag and got reading on the way in there that if we were to buy it, we would not be able to use it that day, and uh, it deterred us from making the two-plus-hour drive into town to buy the wolf tag, realizing that... By the next day, the wolves would probably be long gone. And so buy it before you arrive so that it's legit and able to be used while you are there hunting. Well, folks, thanks for being here. We're going to try to get this one turned around and loaded up as soon as possible. We know there might only be a day or two before it gets here, but uh, just the times we find ourselves in uh, with this whole coronavirus and us having to separate and technology um, appreciate you bearing with us yeah and keep your eyes out for the uh, Colorado podcast which uh, Colorado's a few days later in their deadline but we'll try to kick it out timely here so that you have uh, plenty of time to absorb that information and apply for Colorado if that's on your radar as well well thanks Corey yep thanks Randy thanks for listening folks